everybody here this way? Do I have it on correctly, Kevin? I have it. Okay, thank you. Um, we're going to start with the whatever leftover questions there are, but um, somebody asked about the website. It's on your yellow card. It's DaveRico.com. And um, I also have um, downloads of CDs there of classes that I gave on all these topics. So if you're interested... You can see them there. And also what we watched at the beginning, the, the link to YouTube is on the website. So you can go ahead and watch it again if you want or share it with somebody. And uh, let's pick up any leftover questions. There was somebody who asked a question... Um, okay, let's start right here. Uh, I wanted to say that for myself and my experience now, I've been finding it much more useful to drop deeper into looking at that whole arena of um, being engulfed or rejected really how I do that with myself and my experience. And, um, you know, having been a Diamond Heart student for many years, uh, for me, that's where the allowing is to fully allow those feelings in, in me. So it really doesn't become this time in my life or whatever so much about that person out there doing anything to me, whether it's engulfing. I mean, I can feel, ouch, you know, whatever. But then it's that immediate, for me, and my practice, wanting to turn in and to see where is it that I'm abandoning myself here that's so painful? Where mm. am I not providing loving kindness to myself? Where am, where am I afraid of engulfing myself, my own intense feelings, my own deep intimacy with myself. Where am I not allowing that in? Hmm. And it's really helping, um, in a sense helping, is that the word? Um, again, for me to drop much deeper into that intimacy right here. So that's one. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> it's deepening your connection with yourself. Exactly. And that's where practicing my tree and loving kindness for me comes in. Because when I see myself with a you know, spiritual superego, if you will, mm -hmm. um, 
for instance, that's where the opportunity to practice a deep loving kindness comes in to really breathe that in, allow it, and to breathe out compassion and loving kindness. And um, that was, and then I have a, a second question in, in the context okay. of what you are teaching us too about loving kindness is, um, I, I don't know why I have a hard time in my own practices now looking at the word conflict. It just doesn't resonate with me. I'm wondering if I could look at, you know, create another word. It's not like I'm in denial that, you know, stuff happens and that there are issues. But it still, for me, has some kind of negative connotation to say conflict, where so many times those opportunities, like you said, to practice, to bring loving kindness to self and other in conflict, to... Um, to turn it around and to see what the opportunity here is. And so what I'm saying is where conflict stops me dead in my tracks a little bit. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm More yeah, like I'm maybe struggle or trying to work things out, maybe put it that way. Presented with a challenge to work something out. Yeah, that or like differences, that. you know, it's about, again, bringing your five A's to, for me, what I've been practicing to the word conflict. Yes. And so it, it shifts the very nature of it. It yeah. morphs it into, there's an alchemy about it where conflict is not this bugaboo. No, it can so, turn into something very useful. Yeah. Good. Thank you. And I liked your first comment. Could you hand it behind you to uh, Nicole? But, be but before you start, Nicole, I just want to go back to the loving kindness <clears throat> and I didn't need to, with this group, I know I didn't need to go into the standard loving-kindness practice, but I'll just mention it in passing, um, that you say something like, and you can do this daily, may I be happy, may those I love be happy, may those uh, to whom I'm neutral be happy, may those with whom I have difficulties be happy, may all beings be happy. And then you would go on to free from suffering, uh, move toward liberation, whatever you'd like to say. But the concept is that I will always include myself and others. And I'm also using this now in moments of uh, prayer, instead of uh, anytime I would say something in a prayerful way, uh, I always include all the other people in the world who are uh, faced with the same challenge I have. So let's say I'm taking a medical test and I have fear of the results. And uh, I would say something like, may I find the courage to go through this process and be okay with it. Now I'm adding, and may all the people who are taking this test also find courage to face their results. That's how you 
expand your sense of connection. Now, you can also take this and you can apply it with the five A's. May I find the attention that leads me to feel loved. May I give attention to those who are near and dear. May I pay attention to those who are neutral. May I attend, etc. May I accept myself. May I accept those who are close to me. May I accept and so forth. So you apply these same five A's. And as you just said, it takes this loving kindness practice and opens it up a little more beyond just the standard ways we have of doing the practice. Everybody follow? Nicole? Um, Is part of grief work fishing around for a different perspective uh, to see using your vibrational guidance system as to what feels good and what doesn't and if something doesn't feel good maybe reflecting and thinking, is this part of our current limited paradigm of this time, like on this planet that we're born into and the family we're born into and the ideas we were given about situations? And sometimes I feel like, you know, everything that comes into our lives is actually perhaps the perfect lesson for what we need to learn. And I think I'm borrowing some of this from A Course in Miracles where... um, I think one of the quotes is there's another way of looking at this and also from the power of now where Eckhart Tolle says that there are no problems, there's just situations Mm -hmm. and if I separate my ego from my experience and I can be the observer then I can see maybe that sadness is um, taking things personally and that fear is lack of faith And um, I don't know. So I don't know if I'm trying to skip past grief, but sometimes I wonder if that helps to move through it faster if we look for a better feeling thought. Okay, good. Thank you. I wrote this so I could remind myself of how to answer. Um, So let's make a distinction because... In the New Age approach, sometimes it has a superstitious dimension. So this happened, and this is not about Nicole, this is for any of us. This happened so that I could learn a lesson I don't put it that way. I put it, this happened and I can learn a lesson. This is safer than this one, which could comfort you so that you won't go into your grief directly. Also, it isn't It isn't as if there's somebody up there who's making sure you get the lesson you're supposed to get. It's that everything is happening 
And because of the work we're doing, we've learned to take what happens and find some lesson in it. So this feels better to me. This happened and I can learn rather than this happens so that I can learn. Does this make sense to everybody or is this? Okay. And I'm just, I'm just, uh, is it still on? Yeah. I'm just more sensitive to the superstition dimension because I've been full of superstition most of my life. So I'm trying to work on that. Superstition, uh, an irrational conclusion from a particular premise, such as if a black cat crosses my path, I'll have bad luck. Well, there's really no connection between those two. Other questions? Uh, yeah. Um, Also, when you say this, you know, he did this to me, or this happened so that I could learn, it, it makes him very unimportant, it makes him just like some tool that the universe is using so that the all-important you can learn what you need to learn. He doesn't matter as much. We don't want to go there. One theme, theme that I'm hearing is kind of learning how to love oneself as the starting point. And in the intro, you were talking about the ways that we're unloving to others by wanting to fix them, trying to make them change, make them feel like they're going to be cha- need to be changed. And I see so much how I do that to myself. Mm. You know, like there's a project. I'm not as loving as I should be. You know, what do I need to do to be more loving? Okay, there's this loving kindness practice. I need to do that. I want to get this from it. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, creating, I think it was like a holding uh, space uh, Mm -hmm. for allowing growth and blooming. And so I was wondering if you could speak more about how we approach kind of this whole practice in a way that is more kind of open and loving to ourselves? It would be a lot like what this woman here brought up, that you sit with your experience of yourself and bring those five A's to it. So let's say your thought is, in the way I responded to this person, I was being abrupt and unkind. Let's use that as an example. And you're now kind of judging yourself for that. I didn't act in a very loving way. So one, I will, next time I see that person, I will say, you know, I was kind of abrupt with you last time. I want to apologize. Secondly, you can, prior to that, uh, just sit with it and say, okay, I'm seeing my shadow side occasionally comes out. And I want to pay attention to that. I want to accept that as part of me and hold it affectionately, appreciate where it comes from, and allow myself to experience it, know it, and move beyond it. So that's how you would use these same five A's. 
as a way of creating a holding environment right within your own psyche for your experience. Make sense? So just tick down the list. Let me pay attention to what I just did. Let me accept myself as having that dark side that will be abrupt. Let me appreciate where it came from. That's my impatience. That's my controlling. That's my, that, yeah, that's how I was in high school. I want to see if I can release myself from that. But we're not trying to root it out. We're trying to hold it gently, which is what these five help us do. And then it will just kind of go by itself. I remember in that movie, um, Gandhi, there's a scene in which the British officials are confronting Gandhi about his continuing um, protests and demonstrations. And they say to him, you are driving us out of India. And this was his answer, which I thought was so perfect. He said, no, I'm not trying to drive you out. I'm trying to show that it's so important for us to have our own freedom and our own ability at self-government that you will willingly walk out. I thought, yeah, that's what, it, that's what you sound like when you come from loving-kindness practice. You will lovingly walk. You'll just walk out on your own. I'm not going to push you out. That's what happens when you sit with your own dark side. It walks out on its own because it's finally been held. Something like the scene in... Um, the three faces of Eve, where he has Eve white and Eve black, and he wants to, the psychiatrist wants Eve black to disappear in favor of Eve white. And he asks her to do that, and she says, well, all I want to know is, do you like me? And he says, yes, I do like you. It's just that, you know, you kind of mess up her life, so... That's why you have to go. And she says, okay, then I will go. When she does that, the third Eve appears, who's the truly healthy one. So it's kind of a symbol of how we work with our own stuff. I hold who I am affectionately, attentively, acceptantly, and so forth. And then what needs to walk out will walk out. And what remains will be even better than what was there before. Okay, so let's have one last question before we go on to our next part of the topic. Right here. So my question links right to what you just said, that that evil part of Eve would just walk out, there would be room for another. I am so judgmental, it's a bit embarrassing. Like if you could see, people could see above my head what I'm thinking... They would hate me, and I'm embarrassed about it. And I know that it's somehow 
linked to what we're doing here today, but I'm blinded to be able to see it. So that's your challenge. And here you are admitting it in front of all these people. So you're making the first step. So I promised to say something about ego, uh, and then we'll come back to the other questions. This is simply the Latin word for I. And a person who's egotistical or narcissistic will have a hard time showing this loving kindness because loving kindness includes two very important things. One, you have to be conscious of others and hold their interests equal to your own. Secondly, you have to be vulnerable to others who may hurt you in the process of your relating to them or scare you by the threat of abandonment or engulfment. The egotistical ego will find this very hard and so it will separate itself from being other-oriented or being vulnerable. So another way to show the loving kindness that's in us would be to do some practices that help release us from this ego. So let me say one more thing about it before we do that. So let's use our let's use our Goldilocks analogy. She tried the first bowl of porridge. That was too hot. She tried the second bowl. That was not hot enough. She tried the third bowl. That was just right. So in many things in our experience, many areas of our experience, we have these same three choices. Kind of a spectrum. At one far end, there's the too much. At the other end, there's not enough. And right in the middle is not too much, but just enough. That's the just right. Ego. Just right ego is the one that is assertive, but not aggressive. Vulnerable, but not a victim. That's called a healthy, strong ego. What we want. 
where some people have too much ego, that's egotistical. Some people have not enough, that's doormat, let people walk all over you. So part of the work is how to build this healthy ego. This is the topic of my book, You Are Not What You Think. So the ego thinks it's a big shot when it's in this category and thinks it's a victim when it's in this category. Or you could just see yourself as someone who wants to combine healthy assertiveness and healthy vulnerability. And everybody knows right away where you're coming from. The model I use in the book, Atticus Finch, Kill a Mockingbird, that's what you look like when you're just right. He speaks up, but he's never aggressive. He will not let himself be a victim. He won't retaliate, but yet he'll bravely speak up for what he believes is right. That's what you're going to look like. You can tell the difference between that and too much, not enough. So what I did was I made a list of little practices that we could do that would help us get to this just right place. And you um, have a handout. So let's be sure everybody has it. It's the one called Letting Go of Ego-Centeredness. If you don't have it, raise your hand. Anybody not have... Anybody not have Letting Go of Ego-Centeredness? There you go. Sure. And on all these handouts, I do have extras, so help yourself. Anybody need one? So let's just take a quick look. And for those listening on on um, Dharma Seed, this is a quote from my book, You Are Not What You Think. Um, if you want to look at the very beginning there, do you have it? No, it only has one side. Oh, no, it has two sides. Does yours have two sides? How many don't have two sides? (laughs) All right. Uh, Yeah, take all you want. So we're going to be doing some reading out loud. So you'll be doing number one, two, and then we're going across this way. And you'll be continuing. So before we start, um, we're on the 
bottom half starts, here are some challenging practices. Everybody see that? That can help us let go of egotism and build a healthy ego. One that has self-esteem, but with humility and loving kindness. Now, these practices are going to seem way far out. They're over the, they seem over the top in what they ask of us. This is our radically spiritual way of living. So these won't be easy. Fortunately, we can all rely on grace from a higher power to let the transformation happen. Something in the universe is helping you become healthier. This is not superstition. This is the nature of evolution. Because all these beings are becoming better at survival, including us. So we'll start here, number one, follow the golden rule. So for, oh, we need the microphone they can pass along. <clears throat> and then when you're listening, jot down uh, beside the number, put a little note if you have a question. Yeah, you need the microphone and pass it along. Everybody with us? Follow the golden rule. Act toward others as you would want them to act toward you. Keep the needs of others in mind, especially in little ways. An anecdote to selfishness. Find ways to maintain healthy self-esteem without showing off. It's okay to be a big shot. Just don't act that way. This woman right here. Let go of ranking, especially of elitism, seeing yourself as above others. Acknowledge not knowing something or showing that you need support or help. Take feedback. I lost my number. Take feedback as useful information, not as criticism, even when it is meant that way. Apologize when you know you have harmed or offended anyone. Make amends if necessary. Let go of attempts to control dominate or manipulate others. Give people leeway and make allowances for their errors rather than pointing out or picking picking them up on every little thing they do that irks you. Welcome disagreement because it can lead to dialogue. This puts the emphasis in a discussion on arriving at a common ground or learning a new truth rather than proving yourself right. Cooperate rather than compete. Collaborate rather than have to show that you know best. In a group, give up having to take center stage. Trade in your ego, your ego investment, for the good of all concerned or for the accomplishment of the group goal. 
Reconcile yourself to not always getting your way. Work conflicts out with people when they are ready and willing to do so, rather than be resentful, pout, snub, or use the silent treatment, all forms of retaliation. Behind you. <clears throat> Don't hold a grudge against those who wrong you, even when they won't admit it, and stop telling the story of how they offended you. Look for ways to reconcile rather than retaliate. Remain on high alert for the entry of your reactive ego. The moment when you take what happened personally, become indignant, interpret an action by someone as a slight to your dignity. When someone's ego is aroused toward you, do not dig your heels in or go nose to nose. Simply pause with compassion toward the pain in his, her ego reaction and treat it with loving kindness, while nonetheless not putting up with any abuse. In intimate bonds, give up um, vindicating yourself in order to gratify your ego, and instead let go of your ego to gratify the relationship. Become the protector of the partnership rather than the defender of your own ego. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for or wish enlightenment for those who have betrayed, failed, or mistreated you. See losing face and all these suggestions as welcome opportunities for growth in humility, a virtue that makes you more lovable. Discard the ace, arrogance, control, entitlement of ego for the ace of hearts. Do I continue? Keep going. Mm -hmm. Here are three ways of releasing ourselves from ego posturing. We notice our ego poses with a good-natured humor that finds something touching and amusing in them. Then we are less likely to keep using them. We use our ego energy as a handy tool when appropriate, but without arrogance. We are thankful, thankful for the grace that helps us let go of ego-centeredness, even if it took the form of a hard-hitting comeuppance. Good. Thank you for reading. Um, comments or responses, questions? So this is what it would take to move from the too much ego to the just right amount of ego. And you can see that it's quite difficult. I mean, we kind of bristle to these. What do you mean do good to those who hate you? Shouldn't I hate them back? <laughs> what do you mean? losing face is an opportunity to grow in humility. Shouldn't I try not to lose face? Etc. <clears throat> Any reactions? Way in the back and then, yeah. So 
So I'm very interested in neuroscience, and I think of the pathways. I think of this path out behind the hill. It says to stay on the path. And I think about the things that you talked about, how these sort of things are installed. Well, that path was installed that way. That's the way we're supposed to go. And I think about the muscle that this lady talked about. So it's taking us a way to break that path and build a different pathway. Mm -hmm. And this is very difficult. Yes, it is. So these are very specific practices. You could just choose one to work on at a time. And I guess it'll take 21 years <laughs> to go through them all. I can feel my ego just reading those go, oh. <laughs> yeah, it makes you bristle. Mm -hmm. I've always found that um, awareness is half of the healing. And uh, one of the ways that I am aware when I'm in the ego is I am expecting something of others instead of seeing them as a mirror that is shining back to something I need to change. Mm. Yes, because we can see this in others more easily than in ourselves. Other responses? Way in the back. Hold it. Why don't we get the mic? It goes back to the question I asked before. Oh, yeah. Yes, I didn't get to that. Yeah, that will always be difficult to figure out. Is it truly abusive or have I become triggered to old abuses that are piggybacking onto this event? But at the same time, we want to trust our psychological truth. So if it feels abusive, then it is to you. It may not be to the extent that uh, you're feeling it because a trigger adds energy to the original event. That's why they're so difficult to work with. I'm carefully noticing my own triggers and I'm really working on this whole issue of triggers, uh, which I will talk about some other time uh, because I think it's so universal and I notice that some of these triggers are so big that they actually destabilize me. I feel like I am no longer somebody. I'm just so totally 
crushed by this triggering event that's happened. So what I'm doing now, which I suggest to you, is to figure out what your own triggers are. And then be on the lookout because whenever one of them is activated, you can't trust the bigness of your reaction to give you accurate information about the original event. Because what you're actually meeting up with is a whole lot of other untapped and unresolved material in you that harkens back to when this trigger first came into being in your life story. This makes sense, everybody. So let's let's use a simple example of a trigger. Um, rejection. That would be a common trigger for most people. So if I'm coming from <clears throat> if I'm coming from a healthy human response, I will take as a given of any human life that some people will accept me, and this goes with all the five A's, and some people will reject me. <clears throat> this, this reject in Latin. <clears throat> to throw away over and over. Nobody likes that. <clears throat> to accept, to bring you in, to take you in. That's accept. So if a given of life is that some people will accept me, some people will reject me, the only legitimate, healthy, and happiness-promoting response will be an unconditional yes to these possibilities. <clears throat> it's yes, some people will accept me, and yes, some people will reject me. Yes, some people will like me. Yes, some people will not like me. Yes, some people will treat me with respect, and so forth. And if I'm going to be on a planet in which both options can come into play, then my safest stance is a yes to both, rather than I can only handle acceptance. I can't handle rejection. Can't handle rejection is the equivalent of can't allow the full range of human reactions to me. So I want to work on myself to say yes to everything that might happen. I saw a beautiful description of humility once. Humility is accepting 
with a yes, everything that happens from people and things. So whatever comes to me from people and events, circumstances, when I greet with a yes, that's a beautiful humility. And it's definitely freedom from ego. So when you come from this yes place, <clears throat> the, re- the triggering power of rejection starts to diminish. It no longer hits as hard because I've already acknowledged that it can happen. Okay, you can't please all the people all the time or whatever the saying is. That's the kind of position you're coming from. Don't you think this is a lot healthier than I can't handle rejection? Now, sometimes you're so, you're in such a vulnerable place that you can't handle the rejection at the moment. That's when you have to say, uh, please don't reject me today. Wait till tomorrow. <laughs> I can't handle it today. Hold it. Let me go. There's a phrase that has helped me with this number. It's, um, they're not doing it to me. They're just doing it. Good. She says, this is number 16. <clears throat> yeah, instead of saying it's about me, it's just what's happening. More like our Buddhist sense of consciousness. It's not, it's not me-oriented. It's just awareness of awareness. Other reactions to this? Other comments? Yeah, right here. And you see how challenging they are? I mean, you don't just automatically go to these. You kind of resist each one. Keep the needs of others in mind. A little bit of resistance there. What about my own needs? Yeah. Or accepts me, but isn't there going to be likely, particularly uh, if it's your partner or a family member, like a child, and they reject you, that there's going to be like a grieving process or some massive, uh, uh, you know, it's not, doesn't seem to me that's it's going to be an easy, uh, oh, okay, sure, that's what life is like, uh, got rejected, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up because, yeah, you're right. It's not as easy as I was saying. So let's add one element, which he brought in, which is on the way to the yes is a lot of grief. (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's a pathway of grief 
And finally, you get to the yes. I'm thinking of a quote by in the uh, Rubik out of Omar Khayyam. Um, we end where all begins and ends in yes. Yes. So all these practices that we're talking about, including the ones on the page, ultimately come to this unconditional yes to the way things are, to the way people are, and to the way I and the way I am. But the pathway to it will be the practices we've been talking about. Somebody else had a comment? Uh, right here. Well, this might be partly a happy accident, and partly maybe it's a practice that you might identify where it goes in there. But I, I have had a pattern most of my life, a particular pattern. Well, let's call it something like jealousy. And, uh, yeah, and I always could look out there and find a reason for it. And then, um, and so, oh, my God, then I would do my, and I've hid that hidden that really well all my life. But I knew I had it secretly. And so I, in fact, tempted, you know, I would choose people that I wouldn't, I would know I wouldn't be likely to come up with with that person. Well, uh, I'm not quite sure how I got to this, but it has something to do with humility. Um, Maybe three years ago, uh, I was with someone and it was real likely that was going to come up. And, you know, instead of trying to hide it this time, and I don't know why I did this particularly, but I, I noticed it in my body and the sensations, the old sensations, and the, I thought I was going to faint. They were f- just racing around there. There wasn't even another person nearby. But what I looked out the window and I saw about a block away a woman walking by, And then within myself, I realized how deep that was. And so I just started speaking the truth to this individual. Something like, this has nothing to do with you. But even if I see a person a block away, maybe that has blonde hair or is even a woman, old or young, uh, something happens and all the way down to my feet I feel so insecure and I can barely stand it. I feel like I might die. And instead of getting angry like they usually did and saying, why do you have to blame, why do you have to blame me for everything and ruin stuff? Uh, that person looked at me like really shocked and stood there for a moment, like just stood there and then in a moment came over and put their arms around me and said, I really love you. You have no reason to feel insecure. Mm. <laughs> now, the lesson for me in that was uh, it took an incredible amount of courage to do that. And I felt so humble. I thought I was like a zero, like nothing, like I was a nothing. But ultimately, I think that that was a healing thing. And is that sort of like what if we could do it? Yes. We might 
possibly strive for? Yeah, and you did it by speaking your truth. I that think, really helps. Yeah. And when you said it, you feel like you would die, that you're a zero, that's what I meant by when some of these triggers hit us, it really does feel like we're disintegrating, uh, that we are kind of falling apart. Except that that's not a sign that you're unhealthy. That's an indicator of how deep this whole thing is in your life. And it points you to your work. It does not mean that you have so little going for you, you have so few inner resources that you fall apart just because somebody rejected you. No, don't go there. Go to, oh, so this is how much rejection has been in me all these years that I never grieved and let go of. So how do I go all the way back to the very first time I was rejected and my mind went straight to a teacher in fourth grade who made fun of me? That just came instantly right this minute. So now I'm thinking, oh, so then that's not just a memory of her, that's something that's still hanging there, waiting to be resolved, let go of, and really worked with so that all that's left is the pure memory with no little blip on the screen. That's how you know that it's become resolved. And all this is reminding me of a poem by um, W.S. Merwin, a poet who now lives in Hawaii and who also has a Buddhist practice. And you'll see how the poem fits. It's called The Birds on the Morning of Going. And it seems to be describing his breaking up with his wife at the time, partner. And then after the poem, we'll take a break. If I can say yes, I must say it to this and now, trying to remember what the present can bless, by which I know from all other parts of me how little has come to me that is breath, how little that is you. Oh, I have carried this fear, a blue thing, the length of my life, asking, is this its place? Bringing it here to the singing of these brightening birds. They are neither dead nor unborn. A life opens, it opens, it is breaking. Does it find occasion for every grief of its childhood before it will have done? Oh, my love, here even the night turns back. Okay. 
Okay, let's take a short break, 10 minutes, and then we will come back. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.